Welcome to Practical Christian Living. How many of you here are alive? Do you need to check a pulse to see whether or not you're there? Trust me, in preaching to some of you guys, I wonder, are you alive? If you are alive, if you live and you believe, you will never die. We might think we know what it is to be alive, but the truth is, we know what it is to live on this earth temporarily. God's Word says the world is not our home when we put our trust in Jesus. To live and never die because of Jesus is the very core of the gospel. It is where our salvation begins. It is the only place we can have total and absolute hope and no fear of death. With part two of Hebrews chapter six, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. She's got this this struggle in her mind. God can heal and God could heal and God loves Lazarus, but he didn't heal. And if you'd been here, he would have been healed, but, but he hasn't. And I've got to say that I've gone through that same struggle. God, why didn't you heal her? And why wouldn't you heal her? And she's done so much for you. And she's, why? What's going on? And I, but yet I know. The night before her memorial service, I found myself laying in bed and I said, why, why couldn't we, I've just gone with her? Or why couldn't it have just been an auto wreck? I have a life insurance policy on me. And I said, the kids could have got the life insurance policy and it would have been great. Why couldn't I have just go? And I told you I'd watched her last breath. And so I breathed out my breath and I held it, not taking another one. And I said, just take me. And God spoke to me while I'm holding my breath like a dummy. Don't you trust me? And I said, yeah, Lord, I do trust you. I don't understand it at all, but I trust you. That's Martha. Lord, had you been here, he wouldn't have died. But even now I know whatever you ask God, he'll do for you. And she's got this, what she knows about God, what she knows about Jesus doesn't compute to the world that she's living in. And we have that. That happens to us. We have those kind of struggles. And I think Martha becomes a type of me. Martha becomes a type of you when we don't understand the grief and the sorrow that we face. And so Jesus says to Martha in verse 23, your brother will rise again. That, that gets right to the heart of the issue, doesn't it? I'm going to see Lisa again. Lisa's, her body will actually be resurrected and God will change it. And she'll be reunited with us and me. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, and this is a powerful verse. In fact, if you're going to memorize any verse in the Bible, if you've never memorized a verse, let this be the first one. Verse 15, I am. Remember the name of God in the Old Testament? Yahweh, I am that I am. I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Lazarus is the type of every believer that has lived and died and will be resurrected. If you believe in Jesus, then you will, even though you die, you will live. And he's saying to me through this text that Lisa believed in me. 
And therefore, even though she died, she will live. And then from God's perspective, verse 26, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Again, from God's perspective, Lazarus never died. From God's perspective, Lisa never died. From a human perspective, she died and we buried her. But from God's perspective, she never died. And read it again, verse 26. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, let me ask you this question. There's two qualifications in that verse. If you live and you believe, you will never die. Number one, how many of you here are alive? Do you need to check a pulse to see whether or not you're there? Trust me, in preaching to some of you guys, I wonder, are you alive? (laughs) If you are alive, if you live and you believe, you will never die. That's the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, if you live and only go to church on Saturday, or if you live and believe in Jesus only, if you live and speak in tongues, if you live and are Catholic, if you live and are a Baptist, if you live and you go to church, if you didn't say any of that, if you live and believe, you will never die. See, the beginning of salvation is God initiating you, calling you, choosing you. The Bible says that he stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone will open the door, he'll come in and dine with you. The Bible says, and Jesus spoke this in John chapter 7, no one comes to the Son unless the Father first draws them. In other words, there's a call that you heard. In your testimony, you might not start it off with, God called me. I heard him. He knocked on the door of my heart. That, because from your perspective, that's not what happened. But that's what happened. Because there's none of you here today that believes or that will believe that didn't have God initiate your salvation. He first began to work in your life. He first began to draw you. But the very next step after the initiation of your salvation by God is you believing. Some people believe, well, I raised my hand and then I got saved. I prayed a prayer. No, you didn't. You believed. And at the moment you believed you were saved and then you raised your hand and then you prayed a prayer and then you went forward and then you began to change your life. Now, people say to me, and and there's a criticism that I've had over the years because at the end of the message, I give an altar call and I say, if you believe in Jesus, you can be saved. And so people say, well, Robert teaches an easy believism. And, And what they want is, listen, we ought to understand that when you live for Jesus, you need to repent and you need to live your life for him. And, and he's just teaching this easy believism that you believe in God and then you're saved. And, and yes, if you want to put it in those terms that I teach an easy believism, then I'll agree because that's what the Bible says. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, will not perish and have everlasting life. It says in John chapter one, that as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God to as many as believe in his name. And Jesus said, if you live and believe, you will never die. And so you believe. Now what happens at the moment that you say, I believe and I'm gonna raise my hand or I believe and I'm gonna pray is that you are born again and you are transformed by God into a different person. The Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. That's where the repentance comes in. The first thing you do is believe 
And then you say, I don't want to be the person I used to be. I don't want to live like I used to live. I want to live for God and I want to be obedient to him and I want to be glorified by him. And all of those things become evidence that you believed. God initiated, you believed, and then your life radically changed. But don't think that God initiated and you radically changed and then you believed. And if you want to teach that, that's as unbiblical as it gets. That's teaching works as salvation. You do something, and what does Ephesians tell us? That there is no work by which we are saved, but it is by grace through faith, which is believing. Now, the Lord asked me this question as well. If you live and you believe, you will never die. Do you believe this? My answer is yes, Lord, I believe it. And I'll ask you this question. If you live and you believe, you will never die. Do you believe that? Then that's what you need to do, is to believe. Now, Martha leaves and Mary comes out to see him. Martha's going through this kind of, this, this intellectual struggle with what she knows about God and the reality of her world and how these things are different. And how could this happen to me if God loves me? She's going through all of that. Martha is a little different. She's just consumed in her grief. Her brother has died. She was probably there when he died. She's just caught in this grief. And verse 32, then when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Different than Martha. Martha comes with this intellectual kind of thing. She says the same thing, but she collapses at the feet of Jesus. This is an emotional display of grief. I understand I've been able to maintain around most people when I see them. My eyes may tear up a little bit when I'm talking to someone. They say, how are you? And I say, it's tough. But there are certain people that I've broken down in front of because of our relationship, because we're close. And I've embraced them and wept as hard as I can cry. Mary saw Jesus and she collapsed on the ground. Lord, had you been here? This is Mary whom Jesus loves. And yet she's in all of this grief. And Jesus had said earlier, I'm glad that Lazarus is dead, that she's going through this grief. And so Jesus responds in verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and Jesus who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? He wants to go see the grave. And that's not uncommon, right? When you're grieving for someone, I want to go to the grave. Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Now, as Jesus wept, they look at him and they say, see how he loved him. Couldn't this one who was, as says, healed people have stopped this sickness from happening to Lazarus? Jesus wept in such a way that they saw his tears. It was a deep grieving. It wasn't like the old Indian commercial. Do you remember where the Indian saw trash along the side of the road and a tear went down the Indian's eye, face? Jesus wept bitterly. And when I was 25 years old and I taught this passage, I had a whole section on oh, why Jesus wept. It could have been this and it could have been that. And it could, listen, Jesus wept because he was grieving with Mary. 
And as you have grieved for the one that you have loved that has gone to be with the Lord, and as I have grieved for Lisa, as we have grieved together for her, God is, Jesus has grieved with us out of empathy because he loves us. He grieves together with us. He's not cold-heartedly saying, listen, he's going to rise again. Don't weep like that. Or like some people say, listen, you should be celebrating their life. They're in the presence of God. We should have a party. You shouldn't be crying. Listen, shuddy. <laughs> Before you say something like that, don't say to people, God wanted them in heaven. God needed another angel. God needed them more than you needed them. Don't say we should have a party instead. Just mourn and cry with people. The Bible says, mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. If there was anybody that had the words to comfort Mary, who was a sobbing mess at the feet of Jesus, it was Jesus. And yet he wept with her. He knew he was going to rise him from the dead. And yet he wept with her. Now he says, where have you laid him? And they take him to the tomb. And now they're outside of the tomb. And as I said, this is not uncommon, nor is it any different than what we want. I've visited the grave of my wife on several occasions. It's not uncommon to want to go to where they're buried. But Jesus said, take away the stone. Now that's uncommon. He's all of a sudden, take away the stone. He gets to the grave and, and he's got Jews with him that are there. He's got the family that are there with him. And he says, take away the stone. And they go, what are you going to do? You're going to go in and see his body. It's, you're not going to be able to handle it because the decay of the body within four days the body changes so radically after death that in just a few hours, just a few minutes, really, if you don't bring the person back to life, their body changes so much, it, it starts right away that you can't live. After four days, it's, it's brutal. So Martha says to him, Martha's sister who was dead said, Lord, by this time there's a stench for he has been dead for four days. Lord, you want to take away the stone? You want to go into the tomb? There's going to be a bad stench, Jesus. And he said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? What's the common thread in this entire text? Believe. I'm glad he died so that you will believe, he said. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anybody who believes, lives and believes will never die. And now, did I not say to you, Martha, that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? What is he challenging her belief on? Not moving the stone. Jesus said, move the stone. And she said, oh, but Lord, if you do, it stinks. And Jesus said, I told you that if you believe in me, you'll see the glory of God. So the believing is connected to the doing. In other words, do you believe God enough in what he said to live like he said? I find that this is the struggle for many people who believe in God. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe Jesus is God. They believe he died upon the cross. They believe he rose from the dead. And when God says, I want you out of that improper relationship, oh, but Lord, you need to move out from that girl. Get out of that house. But uh, bills, uh, I don't know that I can do that. You need to stop living this way. You need to, to give up the alcohol. Stop getting it. But Lord, I don't know that I can do that. You don't believe God enough to do what he said. You believe in him. You believe in the resurrection. You believe that he's, he's, he's sent from God. You believe in him, but you don't believe him enough to remove the stone. And so you come to church and we hear what God says 
and we walk out and we have our excuses and we never see the glory of God in our lives. What did Jesus say? Did I not say to you that if you would believe in me, you would see the glory of God? The same thing is said to you and I, I believe. And that if you would say, I believe God enough to change the way I live as a Christian, okay? I'm not talking about believing in salvation. I'm talking about living as a Christian for him. I believe God enough that it's gonna change the way I live and I'm gonna get out of this relationship or I'm gonna, I'm gonna move out today or I'm gonna, I'm gonna start seeking the kingdom of God first or I'm gonna change the way that I'm doing things financially or I'm gonna begin to treat my wife this way because Jesus told me to. Not excuses. When Jesus said to love your wife and to die for her or Jesus told you gals to submit to your husband and you go, Lord, by now he stinks. You know, you got, you got your reasons. Lord, I can't do that. But when you say, but Lord, I believe you, I believe you. And you now begin to do and live. You suddenly begin to see the glory of God. And I wonder how much glory of God would be revealed in our lives if we would just remove the stone. If we would not come up with all our excuses and reasons why something can't happen. If he told us about it, it needs to be obeyed. Now they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he says to God, God, I'm doing this here of talking to you because these people need to see me talking to you. He doesn't really ever ask God to give him the power to resurrect him from the dead because Jesus has the power to resurrect him from the dead. But he just says, I want people to know that we're in cahoots with the resurrection. That's verses 41 and 42. In verse 43, now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. This is a down payment on the resurrection. This is a preview of the resurrection. Sometimes the preview is better than the movie. You ever notice that? You go to the movie and you watch the preview and you go, I want to go see that movie. Then you go to the movie and you go, everything that was good was in the preview. The movie was awful. This preview is not better than the real thing. This is very dramatic. And I can't do what I would like to do because it would freak everybody out and everybody would go, that's over the top. They moved the stone out of the way and Jesus walked up to that dark cave, that tomb, and he screamed. That's what it says. He cried out, Lazarus, come forth. The Bible says that there will be a shout from heaven and we who are alive and remain will meet the Lord in the air, but we will not precede those who have died for their graves will be opened and they will meet the Lord in the air. What will the shout from heaven be like that calls the resurrection of people forward? It has been said that Jesus had to say, Lazarus, come forth, because had he just said, come forth, the whole graveyard would have come forth. But more than that, being who he was, had he just said, come forth, it would have been the resurrection. Not the preview of the resurrection, but it would have been the resurrection. Now, Lazarus comes out to the shock of everyone. It says, and he who had been dead came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Now they're all standing around stunned. This man who had been dead for four days waddles out like a mummy. And Jesus says, take all that stuff off of him. And now they're looking and they're embracing. And all of this is the type of the reunion that we will have. As, as Mary and Martha run up to Lazarus and embrace him and unwrap him and kiss his face and love on him, it is a type of us being reunited with our families. Someone said to me here recently, I don't know that we'll know our loved ones in heaven. 
are you crazy? Do you think that suddenly we're going to get to heaven and go, I spent my, my life with my wife and now I won't know her? Someone else said to me, I don't think that you will have that special relationship in heaven. Do you think, and now I understand that marriage is for here on earth, okay? But I have a special relationship with my kids and I have a special relationship with my grandkids. And do you think that I won't have a special relationship with Lisa in eternity? And this preview of Mary and Martha running up and embracing Lazarus and holding him is a preview of me grabbing a hold of my wife. And it will be every bit as real, just as real as it was for them, will be that reunion of me with my wife, of you with your loved one that has gone before you. Now, I'm out of time, but I want one more point, okay? Then in verse 45, this ties up the whole text. I'd said to you that through this is the whole thread of one word, believe, right? Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen these things, Jesus did, believed in him. These are the Jew, Jewish leaders of Israel who have been enemies of Christ up to this point. Many of them see and they believe. They're around that tomb when Lazarus comes out and there's friends and Mary and Martha have Lazarus and they're embracing him and they're loving him and they're crying. And there's this resurrection scene that is right in front of them and it's all phenomenal. And Jesus doesn't turn around to the, the Jewish leaders that are there and say to them, I'd like you to bow your head and close your eyes with me, please. And I would like none of you here to leave early. We'll release you here in just a moment. If you want to give your life to me today and believe in me, I'd like you to raise your hand. He doesn't do that. It just says they believed. And because they believed, what do we know because of verse 16? Connect 25 to 16. If you live and believe, you will never die. Jesus, that's easy believism. No, it's the truth. And today, if you believe, hey, the belief may cause you to raise your hand or it may cause you to pray a prayer. It may cause you to come forward. But there are people every weekend in church that make a decision to believe in Jesus and don't tell anyone for a while. And they are just as changed as anybody else. Because it's not raising your hand or praying a prayer or going forward or joining a church or becoming religious that saves you. Those are all things that may or may not happen after you get saved. It is simply believing. And I'll close today. And I wish I had more time, but I don't. But I'll close today by just saying this. Do you believe in him? Do you believe that he is the Christ, the Messiah? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? And that if you ask him to forgive you, that he will forgive your sin. And if you do, then he who lives, check your pulse. And he who believes will never die. And even if you die here from our human perspective, you will never die. Lisa never missed a beat. When people describe death in books, they're fond of saying, and then everything went dark. They'll be describing someone's death and then the gun was at their head and then everything went dark. Ooh, okay, that's, that's not death for a believer. It would say, and then the gun went to their head and everything went brilliant in the presence of God. She never missed a moment. She went from the fogginess of the pain and the pain medication to the clarity of standing in front of Jesus and the reality. And isn't that incredible? I don't know that there's any better place for us to stop. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you that we can take this time today to look over this passage. We thank you that we have here a type of the grieving Christian in Mary and Martha and that we see your response and Lord, we thank you that we see the struggle that Martha has in who you are and what's happened in her world. 
and that we have this preview of this resurrection and that we will one day embrace those that have gone before us. And it will be every bit as real as when Mary and Martha embraced Lazarus. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kgun 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.